Macarriar to Stokes, who's onside! everybody and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, it's a little bit of an unusual episode. Um, obviously today Saints have played against Huddersfield Town but it's also the, the start of the Christmas holiday so um, I'm not recording from our normal East London studios in Hackney. I'm in fact on the Isle of Wight today uh, with my father-in-law uh, Mike Powell. Mike welcome to the show. Yeah thank you John. Um, it's fantastic for you to host us here and you know turn your kitchen into a studio on the Isle of Wight and um, I don't think you quite realised that I was actually going to ask you to join me in speaking on the podcast no. I thought you were just thought I was just going to record it here I did it was a surprise I was halfway with you making the Marukis yeah and you sprung this on me so uh, there we go yeah we've done some uh, Christmas cooking since getting back from the game um, but there we go so um, anyway Mike the, the last time Tom and I did a podcast it was quite an optimistic podcast. So we we just had a run of fixtures. We'd beaten Everton for one at home. We'd put in a really good performance against Man City and, and we were very unlucky to lose there. Put in a decent performance against Arsenal, probably unlucky to, to not win that one. And we thought Pellegrino was doing pretty well tactically. And we're feeling pretty optimistic going into the game against Leicester. Um, obviously the game against Chelsea we didn't necessarily expect, expect very much but you know with Leicester Chelsea and then Huddersfield two of the games being at home two of them being very winnable we're probably looking at thinking you know there's potentially six points there maybe you settle for four um, in the end it's not gone very well we've taken one point from the three games that's right and I have to say the two home games it's because Saints just haven't played very well um, there was a real sense of grumpiness, I thought, in the stadium today at St. Mary's. The, the crowd were really quite disillusioned, I think, with the display. The, uh, it was disappointing, you have to say. It was a poor performance. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty poor. I mean, let's go back to the the Saints game against Leicester. So probably the biggest talking point is Claude Puel's return to St. Mary's. Um a manager who, on the face of it, did pretty well at Saints, got us to eighth on the table, got us to the League Cup final. Um, we had some you know, impressive victories over the season, over at Inter Milan, beating Liverpool, knocking them out of the semi-final of the, of the Cup. Um, but it all started to go horribly wrong for him at the end of last season, particularly when it came to the final home games of the season, where we just couldn't score any goals at all. Um, and Leicester managed to get more goals than Saints managed in the entire seven last games of the season last year. So how how's he managed that? How's Claude Puel managed to get aside playing well and scoring goals? And, and why can he do it at Saints? Well, I guess there's always a phenomenon when you have a new manager going into a club. Maybe it's easier to get the players motivated and G them up. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see at Leicester. It's, it's early days yet. But Certainly, he's been very impressive and they've been playing very well. They seem to be doing well against Manchester United tonight. They're holding them at the moment. 
So, you know, there may be a bit of that, but maybe he was a bit unlucky getting sacked at Saints. The, the season did end disappointingly, but you have to say eighth and getting to the, the final of the League Cup was pretty good, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because Saints, we haven't sacked all that many managers. That, well, I, I suppose we have. We have and we haven't. So, I mean, before, well, we had Kuman who kind of left us for a, a bigger team. We had Pochettino who left us for a bigger team. We sacked Adkins and that was very, very surprising when we sacked Nigel Adkins. I think a lot of people found that quite shocking. So perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised when the board show a little bit of a ruthless streak. But I kind of, I didn't necessarily expect us to, to sack Claude Puel at the end of the last season. Although I found it incredibly frustrating watching the, the last few home games at St. Mary's. Were the board right to sack him or, or, or not? Well, at the moment, I suppose you could say the jury's out if you want to sit on the fence, but um, they don't look to be in a better place now than they were last season. And maybe, you know, it was his first season, maybe to be fair to him, he needed a bit more time, the summer with the players to, to really get them going again. And, you know, we, in terms of outcomes last year, it wasn't bad. So I think probably it was pretty harsh on him, really. And uh, I'm sure you would have enjoyed coming back to Saints and uh, thrashing them 4 1 with Leicester. Yeah, I, I think you've given you probably a lot felt of pretty vindicated. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but it's perhaps when we get to talk about Pochettino in a moment, maybe it's important to learn from that and not make the same mistake again. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the game against Chelsea. This is a game that uh, I went to with my brother. Um, it wasn't a particularly good game of football, actually. I don't think Chelsea played particularly well. Um, they were kind of there for the taking. I mean, they looked quite quite good in the final moments of the game. So perhaps if Saints were in a stronger position, we might have seen Chelsea go up a couple of gears. But it was pretty disappointing to see Saints not really trouble Chelsea at all. Um, Pellegrino started with Gabbiadini up front and... He was he was practically hopeless up front for the whole game. The whole game, I, I watched him trying to make runs in behind the final line of defenders and there were just never any through balls for him. It, it, we just don't seem to play the kind of football that Gabbiadini is looking for. We, we don't seem to play those sorts of balls. When he brought on Charlie Austin, he immediately had a chance with his first kick of the game. He had another chance a, a little bit later. And you've got to ask, you know, why, why is Charlie Austin not starting all these games when he's scoring lots of goals you know every time he's on he scores a goal pretty much or every time he starts anyway yeah I, I i agree with that and obviously his record's been tremendous but i have to say uh before we went off in the second half today he was looking pretty labored i thought charlie i mean he, he did well he started strongly he's you know he's a great player and he's a finisher but uh, he, he was blowing pretty hard to, towards the middle of that second half. And I just wonder whether he's got that in him to play every game for 90 minutes at the moment. Yeah, I, I did notice that in the game against Arsenal as well. By the end, well, not even by the end, by about 60 minutes, he mm. looked pretty much out of breath. Mm. Um, I, I wonder, is, that, is he actually that unfit? And, you know, he does find it that exhausting playing a, a game of football that he can't really last more than kind of 60, 70 minutes and Pellegrino is forced to rest him despite the fact that he's really our only goal threat at the moment. Well, yeah, and given he is the only goal threat, I'm sure Pellegrino wouldn't want to not play him. It'd be surprising if, if he was making that a conscious decision. 
So I think that's the assumption you have to come to. That's the only conclusion I can draw, that Charlie struggles to play week in, week out for the whole 90 minutes. I mean, the team perhaps is, you know, is so dependent on on him at the moment that maybe that makes it harder for him because he's he's having to put in a tremendous shift while he is on the pitch and able to gallop around. But, you know, he certainly looked like he was getting near the end of his tether by the time he got injured. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose the only other thing really to talk about from the Chelsea game of any interest is the Alonso free kick, which was another example of uh, Fraser Forster being bought, being beat by a long-range shot that went low to the ground. Now, from where I was sat in the stand, it looked like a pretty good free kick to me. You know, whipped it in. I don't think Fraser Forster, or in fact any of the Saints players, were really expecting him to go that side of the wall. He whipped it in. It was right in the bottom corner. You know, really, really good finish. I've had a, a few fans say to me that actually Fraser Forster was to blame for that. He's he's not commanding his area. He's not a good goalkeeper. He should have had the wall and this, that and the other. I, I do wonder if sometimes we get a little bit fixated on a couple of players and blame them when, you know, they're not totally at fault. And it's quite easy to blame your goalkeeper when things are not going wrong. But actually the biggest problem we had against Chelsea is that we just looked completely impotent up front. Yeah, and, and I, I think... You know, you, you can't isolate the, the goalkeeper unless they're making very obvious errors continually. And the goalkeeper has to be looked at in the context of the defence as a whole. And um, again, I think you have to say this season, um, Saints haven't looked as solid at the back as they have in the last few seasons. They, they've had, you know, quite a chop and change in terms of uh, the, the the back. Uh, the centre too um, and it hasn't really looked settled and you know I'm sure we're talking a bit more detail about today's match but there were a lot of occasions where Huddersfield were left with players unmarked in the centre of the penalty area yeah and you just can't blame the goalkeeper for that all all the time I mean perhaps you could argue that a more commanding goalkeeper might be organising his defence better and making sure those players are being picked up but Really, they've got to take some responsibility themselves well, as well. Absolutely, I think so. I don't think you can put all that at the, at the you know the feet of the goalkeeper. Um, and they didn't look solid, full stop. I thought uh, certainly today, and clearly they weren't against Leicester. Um, so that is a big worry, I think, in terms of looking forward to the rest of the season. Okay, so let's let's fast forward to earlier today. Um, for those of you listening to this on Sunday or perhaps on Christmas Day or Boxing Day on your way to Spurs, um, we're recording this on, on Saturday evening. We've just got back from uh, the Saints versus Huddersfield game. Uh, we've eaten a, a lovely Morrison's pizza. We've been <laughs> uh, uh, reviewing the, the te- uh, Morrison's finest red wine that we've just been drinking. It's very good. And um, I had a go at making um, one of uh, Nigella's recipes for our, for our Christmas pudding, the, the Maruki's the Meringue cookie crossover. And don't it's, forget we've got the salted caramel uh, And we've got the salted caramel the ice cream as well in, in the yeah. freezer. Yeah. You know, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a pretty good Christmas. The one thing really that's been letting us down over the holiday break has been Southampton, really. Today, I was feeling relatively optimistic as we were travelling to go. When we were sat in the pub before, with, we met up with my brother and we were chatting about this and trying to kind of work out what was going to happen. And I was caught in between two minds of either this was going to be something like a nil-nil or we were just going to go out and thrash them. It was going to be like the game against Everton. Um, obviously, it ended up being 1-1. 
I mean, what were your expectations coming into this? Were you expecting us to win, get three points? Well, I thought it's very important that we did get three points. And uh, I felt before the game, and I feel now, that anything less than three points is a very worrying pointer towards the rest of the season, really. Because Saints are very much now, I think, you have to view them as being pretty much into the the shortlist of teams for potential relegation sadly um, so I, I felt it was very important that they did win I thought they would win I thought they were likely to squeeze maybe 2-1 something like that but I have to say at the end of the game I didn't really feel like they deserved to win I mean they had chances to win the game but equally they could have been 2-0 down after 15 minutes yeah. so you know it just wasn't at any time a, a, a performance that instilled confidence I felt I think that was the biggest, one of the biggest problems with going to St. Mary's is even when you go there with optimism, which perhaps there's not been much cause for us going there with, with mm. optimism recently, when you get into the stadium, they start that slowly and, and they look mm. so disorganised yeah, at, at the back. Yeah. Um, particularly, they were leaving Huddersfield players unmarked in the box yeah. and, it, and it was quite frightening. I mean, we'd... Got our tickets. We were right behind uh, the goal in the chapel stand uh, today. And so we had a really good close-up view of some terrible, terrible defending in the first 20 minutes. And it's quite frightening. And and at that point, it's quite hard to get excited and get behind your team because you're watching. They're just thinking... You know, bloody hell, this is going to be an awful, it's going to be an awful 90 minutes. It was. It felt, the first 10, 15 minutes, it felt like they were going to get stuffed. Yeah. Um, I had several chances... And literally, as you say, we were staring at the Huddersfield centre forward on his own in the centre of the penalty area with the ball swinging. You're thinking he's going to score, and they should have scored one or two goals. They had some great chances, and Saints just didn't seem to be picking up their players at all. It, it felt pretty shambolic, to be honest. I think there was a real lack of leadership mm. in the centre of defence. Um, I saw Forster trying to speak to his defenders and they looked like they were completely ignoring him at mm. one point. I don't know whether they were taking on board what he was saying. I couldn't hear exactly what he was saying. But you could see that he was shouting at them. Um, but they didn't really seem to be acknowledging that, which I think that's quite worrying if you're not communicating um, with your... Uh, I think we've got a, a dishwasher got bleeping a, here. We've got a technical malfunction going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we, you know, we have Fraser Forster really struggling to command uh, the defence. Um, we didn't have Yoshida or Wesley Hoot taking control of the situation either in, in the box, and it's it's quite worrying. Um, so, you know, that that was quite frustrating. They did seem to get themselves better organised as the game went on, um, but we also went up to the other end, and Charlie Austin got a goal. It was a lovely cross in. Yeah. Wesley Hoot headed the ball yep. across to Charlie Austin, who was unmarked at the back post with a very easy um, yeah, finish. It was a good goal. And there were times when Saints did play, you know, put some quite nice moves together. Um, we weren't in the best place really behind the goal to see the the, the sort of precision of some of the moves that did, did take place. But they, they played occasionally some, some nice football and put some moves together. But it was so, you know, other times it just felt like most of them weren't that interested, to be honest. And quite a few occasions where they had opportunities to break away. And although the crowd would get on the back of uh, Redmond in in particular, I felt that 
the other players were making runs for him. They, they, they weren't really cohesive as a team. So when a breakaway happened, it was like one player with not much, often not much on for him really other than we'll dribble through the lot and score yourself which isn't yeah. that realistic uh, certainly not with Nathan Redmond no, <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, Sophie and Buffon might like to, to try that occasionally but yeah I, I think you know particularly the game against Chelsea I, I felt like every time we broke away from the Chelsea area we broke so slowly mm. and with so few players that you just kind yeah. of thought well, we're never, ever going to score. We're never going to trouble no, the, the no. Chelsea defence. It, it was better today than it was against Chelsea. Yeah. But you're right, we still are lacking that kind of incisive counter-attacking play. confidence as well, isn't yeah. it? You could see a lot of the players are, are lacking in confidence. I don't think they're playing for each other terribly much at the moment. They're not running off the ball for each other as much as you would expect. And, and you know, one occasion when I would have been critical of Redmond, he got the ball, I think it was just inside uh, the Huddersfield half. He seemed to be, he was out quite wide, but seemed to have a, a run into uh, goal. And he immediately took the ball out wider. Yeah. And you just thought, what, why is he doing that? Why is he just not going for it? Charge no, towards goal. Yeah, yeah. No, no, nobody's going to get on his back if, if he has a go and, you know, it doesn't come off. But it just looks so negative, just immediately drawing away to the wing and just cutting back and it, it just felt like that that they weren't confident they didn't really feel like they were all engaged in the game all of the time that's, that's yeah. the way I saw it um, so we, I mean we had the good side of Charlie Austin today with him scoring a goal we saw a bit of the bad side of Charlie Austin both in his finishing and, and also in a little bit of a nasty off the ball incident yeah we, so we did yeah in the first half um, from kind of where we sit, he looked like Charlie Austin skipped over the goalkeeper and then he was down injured for quite some time. Um, we were able to watch a, a little bit of a replay that someone posted on Twitter and it did look like Charlie Austin gave the keeper a little kind of, I suppose, flick in the face with the end of his toes. Yeah, past. it looked like he left his foot in there, didn't yeah. he, basically. Um, and we're thinking about, you know, is he possibly going to be given a retrospective ban there or a retrospective red card, potentially a one or a, or a three match ban if he does that? Um, it also looks like Charlie Austin's injured and is probably going to be out for about one or three games anyway, so it may, yeah. may coincide anyway. Yeah. It, was, it seemed a bit nasty and a bit unnecessary. It did. I mean, it was just the one angle that, that yeah. we saw, so perhaps it would be wrong to judge it on that. But on the face of what we saw, it, it looked as if he left his foot in and caught the goalkeeper unnecessarily. Um, and that was silly. There, yeah. there was no need to do that. Um, I can't see why he would want to do that but you know let, let's see what happens with any other angles and, and whether further action is yeah. taken and I think he was lucky on the face of what we saw in that replay not to get Send some off, kind yeah. of censure possibly sending off certainly yeah and then we saw a lot more from Charlie Austin in the second half um, he had the the best chance in the game really um, well perhaps apart from the Huddersfield goal um, was when Redmond managed to break down the wing, brought it into the box, did a really nice little flick over the defenders yeah. into Charlie Austin, yeah. pretty much standing on roughly about the penalty spot, took the ball down, maybe shouldn't have had a touch, should have just hit it yeah. first time. Yeah. And then he then he hit it at, at the key. No, he yeah. just passed the pace. Wasn't yeah, he? the keeper came out, didn't yeah. he? And he just hit it past the keeper but past the post it felt like the ball got a bit under his feet I yeah. thought as he was trying to get his shot away 
but yeah, I mean, you'd have expected him to score that, I think, um, certainly. Um, and it looked like it was going to go in from yeah. where we were and it just skipped past the post. And then he had another chance after their goalie slipped over and, and kicked the ball out to yeah. him, bearing yeah. down on goal. Yeah. Keeper recovered pretty well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think Charlie Austin's shot was particularly good. That was the point when he went off injured. That's right. Yeah. And um, from first looks, it looked pretty serious. I mean, as soon as he was down, he knew he had to come yeah, off. His he knew, his, he knew his, yeah. his game was over. Um. And then, obviously, once Charlie Austin's the pitch, we all know who our second most threatening player is in the Saints squad, and that's uh, Maya Yoshida. <laughs> um, so, Yoshida, I mean, he's scored a few goals this season. He's also come close with a few chances. Yeah. Um, and he had a fantastic chance right at the death in this match, um, you know, to, to make it 2-1 to Saints with a last-minute header. Hit the bottom of the post. It was kind of one of those posts where it could have gone either way, yep. in or out. Unfortunately for us, out. Um, I think it came off the goalkeeper as well, didn't it? I did the, the goalkeeper, yeah. In the back of the goalkeeper's yeah, head. Yeah, after it hit the post, came back yep. off the goalkeeper's head. Yep. It could have gone in after that as well. That would have been quite a, <laughs> a funny way to get a victory. Um, it probably wouldn't necessarily have been deserved. I mean, well, if Saints had 1-2-1, you could say fair enough, but... I think at 1-1, you can also say fair enough. And I think, you know, the, the biggest kind of culprit really is, is that Huddersfield equaliser. The defending was It was abysmal. shocking, was it? Shocking. Yeah, he was left completely unmarked that yeah. Um And I, I would have loved Saints to have won 2-1. But I have to say, I don't think they deserve to win the game. And I think either side could equally have easily have won it 3-1. Yeah. You know, it was the sort of game where there were quite a few chances either. And it wasn't a great game, if we're honest, but there were chances and it could easily have been 3-1 or even 3-3. Yeah. Um, and probably a draw was, was you know, a, f a fair result on the balance of the chances, I think. Yeah. I mean, we have already talked a, a little bit about Forster and um, the central defence, but it is very depressing to see such a similar goal conceded again you know the goal we've conceded to Huddersfield there basically exactly the same as Glenn Murray's goal against us for Brighton um, pretty much the same as the goal that Sam Vogt scored against us for Burnley and you know has similarities to the goal that Giroud scored against us as well though I think Giroud was slightly cleverer um, or you know less obvious than, than this one um, it's all you know why are we constantly conceding like this Pellegrino was a decent he was a decent defender yeah, at his I, time. He must yeah. be furious when he sees this. Well, he must be deeply disappointed. And you have to say they're looking less secure now than they were uh, late on last season. Although, as you say, it was a very poor run they had at the end of last season. They weren't shipping that many goals. No. And Stevens and Yoshida were sort of makeshift two at the back. I thought they did pretty well. They yeah. they, they looked uh, pretty secure most of the time. They, they formed a pretty good partnership and a pretty mm. good understanding of each other. But with all the rotation that we've had, I don't think we've seen a partnership form. No. I think a big part of that has been Virgil van Dijk. And, and the fact that since he's come back into the squad, he's been nowhere near the sort of player he was last season. No, no. I, I, I remember the first time I saw uh, van Dijk play, I thought, he is fantastic because not only did he look a really, really good, solid defender, but he looked a terrific athlete and a real footballer. And you could see, you know, he was a cut above, yeah. really. Anybody else on the pitch in those games, he he, he looked terrific. And I've, I'm sure he is 
you know, a very, very talented, capable footballer. But where's he gone? I mean, he's not, I, I know he's had injuries, uh, uh, but he's not turned up this year so far. Uh, it's, it's the lack of effort, I think. It's the lack of effort. I, th- I think it's pretty apparent. He doesn't want to be there. I mean, we, we know what happened, you know, over the summer. He, he clearly doesn't want to be there. I, I think it's pretty insulting, really, to the people who paid to go and to the rest of his teammates that he's prepared to not put in a shift and put in some good performances because he thinks he's got no future there. I mean, he's been paid a lot of money to play his best football. Yeah. And I don't think we're seeing anything like that this season. I, I, it's, it's pretty pathetic. And I do think, yeah, this is perhaps one of the problems when you become a multimillionaire, when you, your brain hasn't really developed much beyond that of a child or a teenager. Um, <laughs> Scathing. And it's, it's so, I mean, obviously when Van Dyke was, you know, left on the bench for the Chelsea game, you thought, well, you know, something's up here. Um, he wasn't even in the squad today. No. Um, I can only assume that that may well indicate that he's going to go in January, but, you know, that may be wrong. Yeah. But why wouldn't he be in the squad? Um, you know, it's, if you have a player that was being valued at 60, 70 million pounds in the summer, you want to have him involved as much as you, as, as you possibly can. The fact that he's being left out um, you know, for Yoshida, for Stevens, for Hoot, tells you that something is clearly, yeah, clearly absolutely. not right. And, and I think, I think probably we are going to be saying goodbye to Van Dyke in January. I, I don't know how you're going to repair that relationship. It's clearly broken down since the summer. Um, I don't think he's been happy ever since uh, Kuman left. You know, after he signed no, his big contract, no. I think he felt like Kuman was going to stay. Yeah, um, he felt a little bit hard done by after that. <clears throat> enormous amounts of money being paid him. Uh, and we've seen it before when the likes of Morgan Schneidlin had a bit of a hissy fit a couple of seasons yeah. ago. Yeah. He came back into the side, played well. Victor Wanyama, again, had a little bit of a hissy fit, yeah. came back into the side, played well. And, and Van Dyke just doesn't seem to be able to do this. And I wonder, with his behaviour, you know, being demonstrated of all his potential suitors, d- does this potentially bring his value down? Well, it has to on the strength of his form this year. I mean, if if you're looking at buying a player, you're looking at what their current form is. You, okay, you're looking at what their track record is as well. But on current form, it has to have devalued him somewhat. I'm sure he will still be very highly valued. And there will be clubs. Manchester City, it's, it's uh, alleged are uh, very interested in him. Whether Liverpool will come back in, we don't know. But there are clubs clearly who rate him very highly. But I don't think Southampton can expect to get the kind of premium price that they were looking at last summer. So you don't think we'll be talking about 60, 70 million pounds? You think it'd be a little bit less than that? Well, I would expect so, unless, I suppose, both Man City and maybe Liverpool both kind of start a bidding war for him. Um, it, it, It could be possible. But, you know, you'd have to say on the strength of his season so far, he's not really worth him. Certainly 50 billion or more, I would have thought. Okay, so, um, you know, should, should we accept 50 million pounds for Van Dijk or, or do we do we hold on to him? I mean, who, who are you going to get for 50 million pounds? Presumably, we're going to need to have a, another central defender. I think there's arguments that we need to strengthen other parts of the squad as well. Yeah, I, I, I think we do. Um, although, you know, there... 
there has to be an argument that says we've got quite a strong squad. It's just that we can't get them to play together at the moment yeah. and play for each other. Um, but I think if he's not interested in playing for them anymore, I can't see any point in keeping him really. If if he's not even getting in the squad, unless there's something we're not aware of, that, you know, a personal matter or something just right now, then uh, we'd be better off letting him go and reinvesting that money in, in, you know, maybe two, maybe three other players. And Saints, to be fair, have had a good record. The one thing they've been really good at in the last five years is buying players in yeah. who've then proven to be, you know, perhaps better than they were thought to be when they were purchased. So, you know, it's not as if um, Saints haven't got skills in that direction in terms of investing sensibly in the squad. Maybe over the last year or so, it's not been quite so good. But, you know, over over the medium term, they've done very well in terms yeah. of the players they've bought. Um, I suppose that the other question here is um, there might be another person who could potentially be leaving the club in January, and that is uh, Maurizio Pellegrino. So, I mean, a lot of things get said on the heat of the in the heat of the moment on Twitter. Um, he's not very popular with the Saints fans that, you know, that I, I notice kind of making comments on on our tweets on mm. um you know in the show as well you know people have been in contact with us and, and said they they don't rate him at all um you're looking at a situation where we say you know should he stay or should he go we're at the halfway point of the season now we've played 19 games we've got 19 points um if we maintain that form for the rest of the season that'd be 38 points at the end of the season and that may not be enough to keep us up um and that is worrying. Yeah, it, it is worrying. Um, and I think we can assume we're not going to pick up many points in the next couple of games, no. as, as we said earlier. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, you just need to be careful what you wish for. And getting rid of him at this stage and then expecting to find another manager who's able to pick it up and, and make it better quickly. Yeah. May, may be a very risky strategy. And uh, I don't think Saints want to get in, into the position where they're a revolving door for managers. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very important they don't get rele relegated, clearly for everybody connected with the club, particularly the fans, but for everybody. Um, but the idea you just, you know, push a manager out and bring somebody else in, in the expectation it will all come immediately better, I think is risky. I mean, uh, let's say Mr. Gao, who's our, our new investor from China, he's invested £200 million mm. in the club. Um, his CV suggests that he probably knows more about building stadia than, than he perhaps might do about the actual running of the kind of football side of a club. Mm. Um, and it seems that Katrina Libra is still involved with the club. The board has stayed the same. We've still got Ralph Kruger as the chairman. We've still got Les mm. Reed as the director of football. Ultimately, these are the people that put... Pellegrino in place they must have seen something in him which which they really liked yeah um they also would have had the egg on their faces of having to go to uh Katrina Lieber and say look we we actually want to get rid of Puel even though you know we've appointed him on our two or three-year contract they would have had to pay compensation yeah. it's it's expensive business it's embarrassing business as well if you're the senior management team that has chosen the person yeah. that's not not doing well absolutely I wonder if if you know, Saints are the kind of club that are going to get rid of him. But it, it does depend. I mean, our next two games are away to Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United. I think we can probably expect a grand total of zero points from those two games. And, you know, being only three points above the relegation zone, it, 
it could be feasible that you know we might be there or or thereabouts at the start of January. Yeah, I I, I accept that. Um, although I think almost uh, for that to be the case, they'd have to be at that position now. Yeah. Insofar as nobody's really going to be expecting to pick up points in those yeah. those two games. So unless they get absolutely hammered in both yeah. games and are abject, you know, really, really poor, he's probably, unless the, the kind of, uh, the trigger's already uh, half pulled to it, where he's yeah. probably going to be okay through those two games. It's going to be more what happens, I would have thought, maybe, you know, through the rest of January. Um, but if they don't start picking up points before the end of January, then I think his position is going to become very difficult. Is there an argument, though, that perhaps you're better off changing your manager now as you go into the January transfer window? He's got more time with the players. He's got a chance to perhaps bring in some players, although I I don't necessarily think that's the way it works at Saints anyway. I don't think the manager gets too much say on who comes in. Um, There is an argument that the sooner you do it, the better. But then, of course... That's always the last resort, isn't it, sacking the manager? It is the last resort, and and I think there's a lot of risk attached to it. And, you know, I'd say they might get lucky, bring somebody else in, and it works. Um, but equally, they might bring somebody else in, and it gets a lot worse. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a, a a kind of magic brush you can apply, which you can feel confident that by changing the manager, everything will become uh, well. And... Um, I don't know what it is at the moment, whether Pellegrino isn't able to motivate them or doesn't seem to be able to get a settled side that plays for each other. But, you know, I think the players, I wouldn't honestly say on today's showing that they're all putting 100% in. There were times during that game today when some of them just seemed to be switching off Mm. and not that interested. You know, they they weren't up for it at times. There were a few spells when they, they were playing well, but there are other times when you just felt they're not, you know, in the centre of the park, they weren't winning challenges, they weren't chasing after, closing down. It just felt a bit half-hearted to me at times. So there's something, you know, the, the players shouldn't be just blaming the manager. They're all highly paid athletes and they should be looking at themselves as well, I think, in terms of are they really committed to this? Uh, are they delivering their very best? And I, I didn't, I've, you know, I've seen them play so much better that you think they're not, you know, there's something not quite right about them. They're not at it as they yeah. should be. And I suppose this is the, you know, this is the, the tough thing as well is I don't know if Pellegrino is necessarily the, the man motivator. Um, he, he certainly seems to have a tactical interest in the footballing side because we have tried lots of different combinations of players, little lots of different tactics, but you're right in, in the fact that the players don't look totally motivated whilst they're out on the pitch, whether that's personal things, whether that's down to the manager, whether it's down to the, you know, the stink that, you know, Van Dyke is causing in the dressing room, unsetting, unsetting the rest of the squad could, you know, potentially be it as well. I, I do wonder about that, yeah. whether, you know, I mean, when he has played, he certainly hasn't looked interested and in whether um, you get the sense also that um, at times a player will put in a really good performance, but then doesn't get picked the next game. Yeah. You know, I know there's the whole business about squad rotation, but you just sense at the moment that maybe there are players who feel, well, irrespective of whether I play well or badly, I don't know whether I'll get 
pick next time. Sometimes I might play badly and I'm in again. Sometimes I play really well and I'm not. And so I do think there's something there with the manager, perhaps about just too many personnel changes, too many changes of formation. And where they are at the moment, you know, he just needs to settle on his best side. And if he can, put them out week in, week out, yeah. I think. Give them a bit of a run and, yeah, and a chance to... Yeah, yeah. Get, get a bit more cohesion, play for each other and get something building rather than sort of continually changing it round and uh, looking for something different all the time. Certainly in the centre of defence as well, where I think, yeah. you know, stability between your, your two or your three centre-backs, also, I suppose, deciding on a formation that you're going to play exactly uh, yeah. in defence. But it, it would be good, you know, to have a partnership, have two central defenders or three central defenders, if that's the way you're going to play, yeah. having a good understanding of each other. They know whose responsibility, they know what areas, yeah. what areas of the pitch they need to cover and they also know what their work is with Fraser Forster and you know I think yeah. once you have that solid foundation yeah then they you can didn't... Kind of forward. But, but then also the other thing is it, <clears throat> our problem hasn't really been the defence hasn't been great we've been giving away a few sloppy goals but really the games against teams like Huddersfield like Brighton like Leicester like Burnley like West Brom Stoke Swansea Newcastle all of these teams you'd be expecting us to be scoring two three yeah you know yeah goals and yeah if you score two or three goals then you can make a mistake and concede a goal and still win the game comfortably and we've not really looked like we're ever going to play anyone off the park no one exception this season i agree with that i mean just coming back to defense so i i do feel like today it just didn't feel like they they knew what they were doing in defense at times They, they weren't picking up the opposing forwards they didn't look like they knew where each other were a lot of the time so it was particularly poor but Clearly, as you say, there just aren't enough players scoring goals. Um, and there's very little contribution from midfield in terms of goals. Um, and if it weren't for Charlie Austin, we'd be in a much you know, weaker position than we are now at this stage of the season. So that's, that's a real worry. And if he is injured now and out for a few games, then yeah. that compounds that difficulty. We could it? really do with him being back against Crystal Palace, I think, so we could be needing his goals in that match Absolutely. which I think you know that's going to be another one of those must win games now, I don't know how many must win games you get before eventually you get called up on it um, I suppose another in, it, it, point about when you change a manager at this time of the season if you change a, a manager at this time of the season you normally try and bring in a fixer someone like a, a Sam Allardyce or yeah. a Tony Pulis someone yeah. who can sort out a dressing room whose heads have gone and, and get them all motivated together yeah. to get you over the 40-point mark. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sam Allardyce is doing very well at Everton now. Yeah. Um, Tony Pulis is available, but I think, you know, most Saints fans would just... They just wouldn't want Tony Pulis as a Saints manager, would they? No, no. It's, it's horrible football. It, it might be effective. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe when you get closer to the end of the season and, and you're looking at a choice... Well, is it going to be relegation or is it going to be, you know, effective but ugly football? People will start choosing effective and ugly football. And every week that goes by that we don't pick up points, people can start start looking at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I come back to maybe in a funny way, the key is Van Dyke because if he is going to be sold in January, then get on with it. And maybe their priority ought to actually be investing in another proven striker. Yeah. Um, because that, Take the that's, pressure off Charlie. Yeah, Austin. and that's the thing that's going to get them out of trouble, really. Yeah. Is is uh, okay? They need to be solid in defence, but they do need, above all else, to score more goals. 
Um, and I think that, you know, that may be more important in, at this stage than perhaps thinking about changing the manager. Um, also thinking about who, who's available, Ronald Koeman is obviously someone who is available. What, yeah. What do you think? I mean, do you well, get someone like that back? I mean, he... I don't know. It's, he left it's, the cup on yeah. some pretty bit of a cloud. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he had a terrific offer to go to, didn't he? But it's difficult to go back, isn't it? I think for everybody, you know, to try and reset the clock and think, oh, yeah, let's get it back to how it was. It doesn't work like that. Times have moved on. Southampton are a different club now. He's a different man. He's a different manager. He's had different experiences. There are some different players there. And I think it would be naive to think you can just, yeah, let's get him back in and everything would be reset how it was. Yeah. It simply won't. And uh, I, my instincts would feel that's not a great ideal. Yeah. I mean, some of the other names which I've seen fans interested in, uh, like Thomas Tuchel, is um, not done pretty well at, at Borussia Dortmund, but quite a big name, quite a, a name that people are quite excited about. Mm. Um, the other one is uh, Marcelo Bielsa, who is uh, one of the managers who's held in very high regard uh, by Pep Guardiola and Maurizio Pochettino. Very, very fond of the pressing style. But again, yeah. he, he's not done very well in France, which has led to him being available at this time of the year. Yeah. He would be a big risk, but but perhaps, you know, Bielsa, Tuchel, they they might be the type of people who play a pressing game, which which Saints, we know, can be quite effective at, yeah. but, but haven't really done for the last 18 months. No, no. And, and they might work, you know, and great if yeah. they did, but they might not. And, and uh, I do think it's a big risk. And I think particularly to bring somebody in for their first job into the Premiership. I mean, even Pep Guardiola, sort of, he's said, I think, that it's, it's taken him time to adjust to yeah. it. And, and some very good managers have struggled at first in the Premiership. It, it is a bit more, there's a bit more competition in depth, perhaps, in the Premiership, and the pace is that bit faster. So, you know, it's a slightly different game, isn't it? And um, I just, uh, I, my instincts are to stick with what you've got for yeah. the moment and uh, see if it starts to uh, yeah. work itself out. So I'm going to ask you for a prediction of, of the boxing game uh, match, Wembley Stadium against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, last time we went to Wembley, it was, it was a brilliant performance. It was, it, yeah. It, it seems like a totally different It seems a long though. time ago now. Yeah, almost exactly the same squad, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what do you think we're going to do against... Tottenham on Boxing Day? I think we're going to struggle, if I'm honest. If if they play like they did today, then I think they're going to get stuffed. Yeah. Um, um, Tottenham, I think, have scored, was it three, four goals today? Three, yeah. wasn't it? Three. I think Harry Kane got a hat-trick. Harry Kane he? got a hat-trick, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I mean, Tottenham seem to have got the knack now of performing at Wembley, and it's difficult to see anything other than a comfortable Tottenham win. And unless Saints really perform on a different level to how they did today, you know, you could see it being a bit of an embarrassment. Um, we've then got Manchester United away. Um, we have had the final result coming against Leicester City. They've drawn that game 2-2. Okay. Um, how do you think we're going to do against Manchester United? Who Obviously, they were the last people we played at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say again, I think, you know, we're going to struggle. Um, I, 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 I'm not expecting to see any points come out of either of those games. If we if we nick a point or even more, that would be terrific. But unless there's a, an absolute transformation in the way Saints are playing, 
their levels of confidence and their attitude as well, yeah. then I, I'd be pretty pessimistic. So you're going, what, a, a 3-0 to Tottenham and then a 2-0 to Man United, something like that? Sounds about right. Yeah. And if Charlie Austin isn't fit, you know, probably you can chalk in the nil now. You yeah. know, it's, it's difficult to see where the goals will come from. I kind of think with both Tottenham and Man United, we'll, we'll somehow, it'll just be a, another one of those close quite disappointing losses we, we seem to oh, pull those out against the bigger I, sides I hope you're right I hope you're right um, well, ho- hoping for a closer loss is a pretty pretty <laughs> poor clutching hope, isn't, straws, it? Yeah. isn't it yeah <laughs> um, you know maybe maybe we can see a Christmas miracle who knows not necessarily expecting much then the next home game is against Crystal Palace and really I mean Palace have been playing a lot better recently they're not going to be a walkover no but that is a game that we, we absolutely are desperately going to need to win. We are, and uh, Palace look very good going forward, don't they? Yeah. Um, Benteke's now scored a goal as well. Yeah, yeah. And Zaha is, uh, is playing very well uh, from what I've seen. So, you know, it won't be an easy game, but they have to win it. Yeah. Um, I think the idea that they're picking up a point here and there from teams like Palace and Huddersfield isn't going to wash, is it? They, right. they have to start winning at home and certainly beating teams at that level because if they don't then they really are very quickly I mean it may be by the time they're playing Palace that they're pretty well in the relegation zone anyway so they just have to win that and and, and consistently have to be winning games against teams in the lower half if they're going to get out of trouble and do you expect Saints to win that game? Um, I think they should win it. Yeah. I think they've got the team to win it. Um, and if they get their act together, then yes, they will win it. Okay. I'm going to go for a, an excruciating 1-0 victory to <laughs> Saints, but you know, highly unconvincing in that one. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So I think, you know, we've, we've talked for long enough about the Saints. Um, unfortunately, not the kind of festive cheer that perhaps we might no, have hoped for no. following this one. Um, but... You know, we've got Christmas Eve and Christmas Day coming up. So, I mean, we can drown our sorrows in uh, brandy and wine and beers. and Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. So thank you very much uh, for listening. And once again, um, if you want to get in contact with the podcast, we are on Twitter at Saints FC podcast we're also saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email and of course if you want to send a review in on itunes or wherever you get your podcast uh, you can do that also since the last time um, we put out uh, an episode of the podcast we are now on spotify so if you fancy listening uh, to the podcast through spotify uh, that is another way that you can get get your your listening in so um there we go thank you very much um it's going to be bye-bye from me and and thank you very much mike for stepping in on this uh no thanks glorious day of podcasting thanks for the opportunity we better empty the dishwasher now but uh thanks for uh, the chance (laughs) to do this john i've enjoyed it thank you okay cheerio happy christmas bye